and welcome to the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. I'm Dana, founder of Bright Red Marketing, your e-commerce advertising specialists. Today, we're here with Jason Andrew from SBO Financial. Jason is a chartered accountant, founder, and business advisor to high-growth businesses. His accounting firm, SBO Financial, focuses on helping high-growth businesses with their numbers, ranging from bookkeeping and financial control to profit and cash flow maximization strategies. He's the author of entrepreneurial accounting book, Stark Naked Numbers, termed the barefoot investor for entrepreneurs. You'll want to have your notepad and pen ready for this episode and maybe be freshly caffeinated as we talk some serious profit boosting strategies to make sure your business is as financially stable and ready to grow as possible. So let's get into it. Welcome to episode 18. Welcome, Jason. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to have you. So can you explain to those listening what makes you different from the traditional interpretation of an accountant? So when most people think about accountants, they think tax returns, right? So everyone's got a friend who's an accountant and it's always, it's almost end of financial year in, in Australia. And so a lot of people are asking, hey, Jason, you know, what can I claim this year? Or can you do my tax for a case of beer? And uh, we usually <laughs> say, well, sorry, I can't help because we don't do any tax. We don't actually do any tax. I mean, we help businesses with their GST and, and wages and things like that, but we don't actually administer tax returns. Now, the reason why we don't is because we're too busy doing other things, helping business owners with their numbers, centered around cash flow improvement, improving their profitability, and helping them really understand their margins and get a grip of their financials. So yes, we're accountants, but we don't do tax returns. Our focus is, yeah, all of the above, helping businesses know their numbers and, and make more money ultimately. Fantastic. Everyone wants to make more money. Um, so what would be some of the most influential numbers that an e-commerce store owner should know about their business? So straight off the bat, I think when a lot of we speak to a lot of e-commerce brands about growing their company, a lot of people are obsessed about revenue. Uh, so it's like, how can I grow my sales? How can I increase my AOV, my conversion rates? It's all about like front-end metrics. But actually, revenue is sometimes a quite a deceiving metric to look at in in and by itself because it doesn't actually help you understand if you're profitable or not, right? So you can have a very you can grow top line sales as much as you want, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're making any money from those sales. So from our perspective of how we assess the financial health of the business, we encourage that all e-commerce businesses should kind of be intimate with at least three profit loss metrics of their of their business. So the first one is their gross profit margin which is their revenue less all of the direct cost of sales associated with getting your product to your customers. So that's the cost of the product, the shipping, the merchant fees, all that sort of stuff. And then obviously operating profit or net profit is an also important one to, to look at to help you understand you know, if you're actually making money in your business. That's another important one. But I think another big consideration that people need to think about is their, their customer acquisition costs as a percentage of revenue. And so when I say customer acquisition costs, that's essentially your Facebook ads, your Google ads, the agency fees that you pay. And basically, what is that total cost divided by the amount of sales that you're currently generating? Yeah, brilliant. And I assume that's what you help your clients to work out. Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people, and a common question, I'm sure you ask this a lot and get asked a lot, is like, how much should I spend on customer acquisition, right? Like, what is a good number? And we always say, well, it really depends, to be honest. It really depends on your what your gross profit margins are. If you've got a, if you're selling a product that has a high gross profit margin, naturally you're going to have a lot more profit to be able to invest in customer acquisition. If you're, if you've got a low gross profit margin, uh, maybe you can't afford to spend as much because the risk is that if you spend 
more than the gross profit margin, more you'll be losing a dollar in every sale or losing money on every sale, which is <laughs> have a great business. No, no business ever made any profit under that regime. So yeah, it's, it's a really critical metric and it really it's, it's fundamentally depends on your brand and how you're positioned and priced in the market. Yeah, definitely. So I suppose obviously working out your, you know, gross profit margins and things, what are some of the best ways for people to increase their margins or things that you often recommend to your clients in terms of increasing those margins so they can make more money? Yeah, so I am a big fan of upselling. So, you know, when most people think about growing their top line revenue, a lot of folks just default to, oh, we need to spend more money in ads to sell more orders. Um, I'm actually a big fan of bundling or packaging products together so we can increase AOV um, and ultimately improve your gross profit dollars um, all from the same customer. We're not trying to find new customers to buy the same products. We can just bundle more products together to the existing customers. So big fan of upselling, uh, big fan of spend and saves. So you know when you're trying to offer a discount or a perhaps, perhaps a deal to a group of customers, forcing them to spend a certain minimum threshold of AOV is beneficial because number one, it helps to protect your gross profit dollars that you're generating to your business. So you're not just giving away profit margins to your customers. It also works in the same effect where your customers feel like they're getting a bargain. They feel like they're getting a deal from you. And so hopefully that should naturally increase conversion rates as well. Yeah, fantastic. I do love a good upsell. It's one of those things that from a marketing perspective, obviously we run Facebook ads. So if you can get that average order value up by getting them to buy two products instead of one, you've increase your return on ad spend quite significantly rather than trying to get that cost per purchase down. It's probably easier to get a customer to buy a little bit more. Exactly right. And particularly because they're in buying modes already, it's it's much easier to upsell them into existing uh, products rather than trying to find more customers. I mean, it's just it's the classic, you know, would you like fries with that analogy from, from McDonald's? It's, it's literally a playbook that's been running for, I don't know, probably since the, the start of the industrial age, I guess. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. So obviously when you're doing things like advertising, you really need to know what your break-even point is. What's so important about your break-even and what's the best way of kind of calculating that for a business? Yeah, so break-even points are a really important metric to help you understand, uh, firstly, what does my business need to achieve just to to stay in business. So when I say break even, that is essentially, I'm not making money, but I'm not losing money. I'm just kind of covering my costs. Calculating a break even point, I encourage everyone to do, particularly in e-commerce, because it is really important that you get intimate. It helps you, forces you to be intimate with your margins and actually can help you set sales goals for the growth of the company. So for an example, so how to calculate your break even point, it's, it starts with understanding what we call a contribution margin. Now, I know that's probably a foreign term for a lot of folks in, perhaps listening to this podcast, but for all intents and purposes, your contribution margin is exactly the same as your gross profit margin. So it's your sales, less the cost of sales, which is your product, merchant fees, and shipping. But then you also need to consider your variable advertising spend. Now, when I say variable, that basically means if your ad spend is directly correlated to your sales, that is a variable cost. So the more money I spend on Facebook, in theory, the more the more sales I should make. Therefore, Facebook ad spend is is a variable cost. If you pay marketing fees to an agency, that fee, the fee that you pay your agency, typically is a fixed cost. So, irrespective of how much work they do for you, usually the the agency fee is the same each month. Same goes for your rent. Same goes for your you know your director salary, all these sort of things. So, these are fixed costs. Variable costs are anything that basically move in the same proportion or relative to your sales volumes. 
So the contribution margin is simply all of your, it's your basically your revenue, less all of your variable expenses. So to repeat, to iterate on that, that's your cost of goods sold, your merchant fees, your shipping, and your variable ad spend. And then that percentage is, it forms your contribution margin. So once you've established the contribution margin, the next step is to then to calculate uh, what is my break-even sales point. And to do that, you start with what is your monthly fixed costs. So that is like, what are the monthly fixed expenses I have in my business being, you know, my wages, rent, agency fees, et cetera. And you then divide that by the contribution margin percent. And what you're left with is a number, which is your break-even sales point. So that number will tell you what sales you need to do every month, depending on the monthly or annual basis, what your business needs to achieve in sales just to break even on those costs. Yeah, fantastic. I know that when people are doing these kind of analysis, they always tend to forget some things. What are some of the like most easily to forget expenses when you're calculating these sorts of things? I think people, when they think about their gross profit margin, so I obsess about gross profit margins because it's by far the most powerful financial lever in your business. Like if you can optimize your gross profit margins in your business, that will be the most beneficial lever to improving profitability and even cash flow in, in certain instances. So everyone, I encourage everyone, if there's a key takeaway from today, obsess over your gross profit margin and be really intimate with, the, with that, that percentage. Now, when I look at, like usually when I review sets of accounts, most people just look at their, their gross profit margins as their revenue less their cost of sales, like the cost of their product. But then but then they forget of all the other little devils that weigh your percent margins, like afterpay fees. You know, they take up to sometimes up to six percent of your revenue can be absorbed by afterpay merchant fees. Like that is a massive hit to your margin. You know, all the other payment gateways that you're paying, your shipping, you know, your shipping rates, your fulfillment, like all these little one percenters can really add up. And they might sound like they might feel immaterial or very small. And insignificant at the beginning, but as you grow, one percent of a million dollars is, is a lot of money, right? So that's and that's all money that could be going to your bottom line profit. Yeah, definitely. So, how often should you know a store owner be reviewing their finances and you know going through these numbers? If you're just starting up your store, I mean, chances are you're doing the bookkeeping, so you've probably got like a zero file or, or a QuickBooks file. And you're just like doing the numbers whenever you <laughs> get some time if, when you're not kind of running your business. And I think the finance is always kind of left to, you know, put in the bottom drawer. They're kind of left to Sunday night or a Sunday afternoon when you've got a bit of time to crunch them out. And I think the, the common mistake I see with a lot of first-time business owners is that they see the bookkeeping and accounting as kind of a thing for tax purposes. It's like, hey, my BAS is coming up. I need to do my bookkeeping so I, my, my bookkeeper can do the BAS and my accountant can lodge the BAS. Now, I encourage everyone to reframe that. If that's you, I'd encourage you to reframe that idea. The fact that the idea of our bookkeeping is not for tax purposes. Bookkeeping is to help you understand your numbers. It's there to help you understand if you're making money, right? So I encourage that you just do your books every week at least. And if you do your bookkeeping yourself, that's good because you'll naturally start to understand or see the ins and outs of your cash from a bank account. But what you need to do then is, is actually look at your financial position through like a profit and loss or a balance sheet. So when I look at uh, when you, with your PL, I encourage you, I encourage everyone to look at that kind of week if you can. If you can't do that weekly, at least do it monthly. So look at, and then monthly is a nice snapshot of the entire period because it, it helps to, Weekly sometimes isn't too useful because, you know, wages, Some if you're not paying your employees every week, it might be every month or fortnight, you know, you're going to have quite lumpy results on a week-to-week basis. But the month is a really good snapshot of, of the entire period. So I encourage everyone they should be looking at least 
on a monthly basis from a high level perspective, but on a micro basis, you should be quite intimate with your cash flow position on a weekly basis. Yeah, I think that's good advice because I think a lot of people just get so overwhelmed that they just don't touch it. So on that note, for those who are incredibly overwhelmed by the numbers and don't really know what they're looking at, what's kind of your advice for those people? Yeah, I think most people start their business, they they kind of assume that their accountant is the person to help them with engage with to engage with the numbers. Um, and, the, and the unfortunate reality with a lot of accountants is that is that they've your accountants are great, but their their focus is mostly on your taxes. So they'll, again, they'll help you stay compliant with the tax office, uh, get get your lodgements done, all that sort of stuff. But when it comes to helping you understand if you're profitable, sometimes your accountant isn't the best person to help you with that. And I encourage every business owner to really take the time or make the time to understand numbers because numbers are yes, it can be intimidating, it can be scary, but they are literally like a superpower. If you can understand your financial position through the lens of a profit and loss or a simple cash flow, it will be game changing to how you operate your business. So in terms of like where to start with learning this this sort of stuff, previously there weren't a, there wasn't a lot in the market to be honest in terms of like making accounting or finances like quite accessible to first-time business owners. Uh, so I actually wrote a book, not to plug it, but I wrote a book to solve this plug problem. Plug away. <laughs> <laughs> so it's called Stark Naked Numbers. It's basically the barefoot investor by Scott Pape, but for business owners. So if you're new to numbers, you have no idea what you're looking at when it comes to financials or P&Ls or balance sheets, I really encourage you to check this book out. You can find it on, I'm sure the links will be in the show notes. But I also recently did a course with Shopify. Uh, so Shopify have a, a free program called Shopify Compass where there's a bunch of like free online courses on their website. And we actually did a course with them called, you know, how to build a profitable e-commerce business. And it gives you basically the, the, the finances 101 on how to build a, a profitable online store. So there's like videos and there's even a spreadsheet oh, to help you work out your your unit economics and your profitability. So again, I'm sure this will be in the show notes, but I encourage everyone to to check that out as well. Yeah, definitely. I think I definitely, your book is on my to-read list, but I think that Shopify course would be great as well. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously with business, there's so many different, you know, variables and things. There's this huge rise in return culture. So people were just buying a lot of you know, especially in fashion, which is a lot of my clients, you know, they're buying a lot of things, trying things on and then returning them. Have you got any strategies around coping and accounting for those sorts of things? Because obviously that'll have a huge impact on your margins. Absolutely. Yeah. Returns are a killer. Returns and discounts are two killers um, of margins and returns are the worst. I think that historically, we we all want to be customer centric, you know, make it really de-risk it as do risk purchases as much as we can for our customers so particularly new ones who don't necessarily know who you are or what your brand is but the cost of that is literally returns right if you if you're too generous with your policy you end up with exactly return rates as high as 50 percent, which is not great because and particularly if sometimes you'll absorb that shipping cost there's pick and pack charges that you need to manage with you know all this sort of stuff sometimes you can't get rid of the, the products. Sometimes, sorry, you can re, sometimes you can't resell your product if it's been sold. So a classic example, if you've ever bought a koala mattress or any online mattress, sorry, any mattress online, if you return that mattress, guess what happens? Can't go anywhere. You can't sell it. Yeah, it, it ended up in landfill, unfortunately. So they tried to donate it to charity, to Red Cross or St. Vinny's, but um, a lot of the charities won't take mattresses for the same reasons that have been used by someone. So it'll actually end up in landfill. 
So a lot of brands can actually sometimes can't resell returns. And so it's, it's not great for the environment, not great for business. And the customers are sometimes oblivious to it because they don't really care, right? They're just like, oh yeah, try this thing and I'll move on to the next thing. So in terms of like how to really keep, keep the pulse on returns, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of tools and I know there's some apps and new products in the market to help to make returns a bit more easier for, for both merchants and customers to deal with. But I think the, the biggest challenge that we see with or the miss, I say this blind side that, um, that we see merchants with is they don't probably understand what the impact of returns are to their financials. And so what we encourage is in your Shopify, I assume you're on Shopify or, or WooCommerce or whatever e-commerce platform you're using, they will always kind of keep track of what your returns are as a metric. You know, in fashion, it's usually quite high. You, sometimes it's up to 25, 30% sometimes. So that is a true cost of business. And so what we encourage everyone is to, to do is every month when you're doing your profit or your, your accounting, actually quantify the value of the returns that you that you you gave or you made in the business and actually put that in your profit and loss statement. When most people do their accounting, the sales on their, on their profit and loss will just show the net sales. That's the cash that's been received, but it's usually not. It, that's after, yeah, after returns or discounts. So what we encourage everyone to do is gross up your sales so you can actually see the return dollars on your P&L just as a gentle reminder to say, hey, this is real dollars that, you know, that can be avoided through, you know, smarter copy, working with certain apps to, to, to help reduce the return culture. And it's a very actionable metric for people to do to directly improve profitability. I suppose that comes down to your gross profit margins as well. Like that would be included as almost an expense in terms of its money that has gone out the door, really. That's suppose, exactly right. Yeah, we focus a lot on that with our clients in just trying to make sure that, you know, sizing is really clear. Got photos of it on different models and things so people can get an idea of, you know, fit and what it's going to look like and those sorts of things, which I think really do help. Absolutely. Perfect. Now, we sort of touched on this before and it all, I suppose, comes down to those margins, but specifically for my clients who are, you know, they've employed me to do their their Facebook ads, a lot of businesses really don't know what they can afford to spend on, you know, their digital advertising, you know, what their, their break-even points and things are. Do you have any tricks or strategies around how to work that out so that you are profitable with your advertising? Yeah, I encourage everyone to build like a what we call like a pro forma profit and loss statement so just all that means that i said a little jargon in that phrase but basically <laughs> all you need to do is do a do a spreadsheet uh, calculate what your fixed costs are and, ca- and calculate what your what your margins are basically for, for every product that you sell by the way all of this is within that course i mentioned with shopify like including the template so i'll probably just watch that do that course watch the video and then use a spreadsheet to do this exact exercise but basically go through that exercise and then you'll you'll be able to work out based on specifically what your AOV is, uh, what your what your gross profit margin is, what your fixed costs are. The, the, the last lever of that is your ad, ad spend. So as I said, ads are a variable cost. So usually depending on what your return you're getting through your ROAS will definitely have a direct correlation to your profitability. So be able to tinker with the spreadsheet and play with that will will give you an idea of kind of how much you should budget for customer acquisition costs. But I will say as a rule of thumb, um, based on our experience working with a lot of e-commerce brands, our what we encourage is that your ad spend should be as a proxy or a rule of thumb between 10 15%. If you're aiming for profitable growth over the long term, yeah, between 10 and 15% of revenue should be on ads. That's kind of the, the rule of thumb that we work with. 
Yeah, fantastic. I like that. And I think we might even link directly to that spreadsheet in the the Shopify in the show notes just so people can kind of find where to do that particular exercise because that sounds like something most businesses should be doing. Absolutely. Another big thing that we really like to focus on, and I hear you have a slightly different and much better way of calculating it, is the customer lifetime value. So for those who don't know what it is, can you explain what a customer lifetime value is, why it's important, and how you get that number so that it's a little bit more accurate, I suppose? Yeah, so your customer lifetime value is essentially uh, trying to put a number on each of the relationships you have with your existing customers. So, for example, if I was uh, coming to your store and I would, uh, I bought a T-shirt from your store and I assume that I really like that T-shirt, I'll probably come back into the future, come back to the store in the future, maybe three, six, maybe 12 months later, and buy another shirt. And assuming I can, again, resonate with the brand, I'll become a repeat customer. So, what the lifetime value equation tries to do is quantify how much am I worth as a customer to your brand. And why that's important is because naturally, if you've got lots of repeat customers or a loyal following of customers that will always come back to your brand and shop with you, obviously, the more value they are, valuable they are, right? And so if you can start to quantify the value of your customers, it helps with decision-making things like, hey, how can we nurture uh, this particular customer? Like they're, you know, they're already brand advocates. How can, how can we nurture them more so that we can increase their lifetime value? So that's one option. The other, but most importantly, what it's useful for my, from a marketing perspective is helping you determine how much we can afford to spend to acquire that customer. Yeah. So basically what the, all that means is if a customer is worth to us, let's say $300, the question is, well, how much would we spend to acquire them in lifetime value? If the cost to acquire a $300 customer was $500, so in other words, we spend $500 to acquire a $300 customer, that doesn't really make sense, does it? It means we're losing $200 in every customer. So you, would, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> so your, the goal is basically to get your customer acquisition costs lower than the customer lifetime value cost. Now, what is that percent or what is that ratio? Rule of thumb, it's, it's three to one. So for every dollar that you spend on customer acquisition, you should try to aim for at least three times the return uh, on their lifetime value. Yeah. I love the customer lifetime value calculations and like working it out because it's such an important metric to know, especially with us with Facebook advertising. You know, we've got a couple of clients that do subscription. So they're actually okay losing money on Facebook on the front end because their customer lifetime value is so high because their customers are subscribers now. So if they can keep a customer for 12 to 18 months, you know, even if they've lost money on their initial Facebook ads, they know that it's it's worthwhile in the end. And you can really kind of work out, you know, your marketing based around increasing the customer lifetime value, but then also working on, as you said, decreasing the, the cost of acquiring them in the first place. That's precisely it. And, you know, a lot of people question, you look at Uber or Snapchat or these like big listed tech companies who never make money. <laughs> they always just seem to raise billions of dollars and always lose money. And everyone's kind of scratching their heads. It's like, well, how is this sustainable? Like, why aren't they profitable? Like, how come they just keep raising more, more money from investors? And the reason why is because a lot of these software companies have high lifetime value because they're subscription-based. It's they've got high gross profit margins because they're selling software or digital product. There's recurring revenue. So you're usually buying a license or subscription to these SaaS products or these software products. And so the lifetime value is very, very high, well, relatively high to, to other kind of products 
compared to one-off purchases like that you might see in e-commerce, you can afford to spend a lot of money in in customer acquisition to acquire these customers because over the lifetime, you're still making profits. And so it's from a different lens, you'll be almost crazy if your lifetime value was so high, you'd be crazy not to just raise a bunch of money and and spend it all advertising to acquire these customers because they're actually value accretive to the business over the long term. And hence why you'll see a lot of like software companies raising bucket loads of capital from investors because in theory they should have nailed or they probably have nailed their CAC to LTV metrics. And for them, it's just like, well, I'm spending $50 now, but I'm going to make $500 over the lifetime. So this is this is definitely worth it to us. But from a profit loss perspective, it looks terrible right now. Over maybe a three to five year time period, it will start to pay itself back. But I suppose that's why it's so important to know your numbers, because if you know that, you know that you'll be profitable in future and you can plan for it. If you're just kind of not knowing what's going on, you'll have no idea whether it's worth doing what you're doing. Exactly right. I mean, you're just literally flying blind and uh, yeah, it's not a good place to be. (laughs) No. On that note, a little bit, I think discounting is one of those things that really can, I suppose, affect your customer lifetime value. And it's so heavily used by a lot of marketers, especially with, you know, Black Friday and first time discounts and just, you know, big sales and things and can often result in a loss for businesses. How can a business work out kind of what's sustainable and profitable uh, in that sort of space? I think discounting is a, yeah, it's right. It's a, it's a tool used a lot by growth marketers and people to, to get initial, to help, to, again, to help de-risk the transaction, right? So they're trying to attract new customers into the brand and you want to give them a, a bit of an enticement to, to, you know, to check out what you got and see if they like it. The risk with that is that if you discount too heavily is that sometimes it, Start to, it's like a start of a bad relationship sometimes. You know, if you're, uh, if we meet for the first time and you're offering me a 50% discount to try your product, I'm all, I'm already going to have a fairly, I'm already in my mind thinking that, oh, wow, 50%, that's a massive discount for me to try. Is there something wrong here? Or maybe you're just one of those like discount bin kind of retailers <laughs> like the others, right? And so it's sometimes the risk with discounting too aggressively is it sets a bad tone from the beginning. And uh, yeah, it might give you a short-term kind of sugar hit because you're like, oh, look, we have new customers and it's, it's made a little bit of a bump to our top line orders and our revenue. But are they, you, you, need, you start to question, are, are these actually the type of customers you want? Because again, if we're coming back to, to buy from you or maybe they might come back to buy from you, but only once a year during Black Friday, they're not necessarily the best customers that you want for your brand. I find it can train customers to just wait for the discounts too. Exactly. And, you know, I think the biggest, one of the biggest challenges with, with e-commerce is, you know, falling into the trap of, you know, just having very cyclical sales, depending on sales periods. You know, it's usually, if you look at the spikes of, of revenue volumes, it's like of your sales, it's usually like end of financial sale. That's, that's in June and July. You've got Black Friday, Boxing Day, and you might have like a, an Easter sale or something. So if you, what everyone wants is predictable kind of consistent revenue. Oh, consistent sales month on month, right? But if you become one of those brands where you're just running sales, you know, during sales periods, the risk is that you'll have, you know, lots of sales in those sales periods, but have, have nothing, um, no sales happening in the off, in the off sales periods. And again, you just fall into the trap of, and it becomes a, actually a vicious cycle because, you know, your customers will always expect a discount. <laughs> so, and, you know, to comp- compete others or to, to get more, you just, you find yourself discounting even more and, discount yourself into bankruptcy. Yeah, which no one wants to do. Exactly. 
That's all I've got in terms of questions for you. Is there anything else that you think we've missed that would be good to share? No, I think um, we spoke a lot about like profitability. I think it's probably worth noting about to talking a little bit about cash flow as well. So when a lot of brands think about you know, building a successful business, they, they think I need to be profitable and, and profits, you know, the thing that will make me successful over the long term. That is kind of true, but not exactly true. And I think a lot of people struggle with the concept of profitability versus cash flow. And this is particularly important in e-commerce businesses. Now, a lot of people think that profit and cash are the same thing, but they're actually very different, different things in your business. So you can be profitable in your, you can be profitable on paper, but most of the time your profit doesn't translate to cash in the bank. And for capital intensive businesses like e-commerce, a lot of your cash flow will be tied up in stock. So your inventory that's sitting in your warehouse, it's kind of sitting there doing nothing. So yeah, you could be profitable, but all of the cash is all already being invested in stock, which is sometimes slow moving, hanging around and it's been there for months. And so what I encourage everyone to do is, is in addition to looking at your profitability, think about your inventory turnover and how quickly you're turning your stock and converting your stock into cash. That is the kind of the second lever of building a successful, profitable and cash-rich business over the long term is being able to manage your profitability, profitability, but also yeah, managing your stock. So you're carrying just enough so you're able to fulfill orders, but just enough to fulfill orders, but not too much so that it eats up all your cash and you've got, you know, thousands of SKUs sitting there, you know, collecting dust. Yeah, I think that's great advice because I think that is something that a lot of businesses get stuck with. So I think that's brilliant. Thank you very much. Before we finish up, we have a couple of questions that we like to ask everyone. So the first one is, do you have any strategies or habits that you follow every day to help you stay on track? I have created a habit of writing every morning. So I have a journal. I also do some a bit of blogging for the business and just even just a personal diary to, to stuff. And I, I try to, rather than thinking about it of like allocating time every morning to write, I, I usually do a word count target. So I, my, my goal is to write 500 words every day. And again, usually it's garbage. It's just this crap <laughs> stuff, just random thoughts and, and things. Sometimes it's actually good content, you know, that I'd, I'd use and repurpose into a, an article or whatnot. But I find the the act of writing is a, is a really good cathartic exercise, number one, for myself personally to help just get my thoughts. I might be thinking about something or something that's been on my mind and I feel like the art of the craft of just putting it to paper is is quite helpful for me just to um, just to unload my what's happening in my brain. But also it helps to clarify my thoughts as well. So um, as they say, clear writing is a, is a sign of clear thinking. Uh, so if you've got some ideas or concepts that you know might be buzzing around your head, I find it really useful to, to put it to pen and paper and really try to articulate them in a, in a way that makes sense and you can keep forever. So um, I really encourage writing as a habit. Fantastic. I like that. Other than your own, do you have a, a favorite business book? Oh, favorite business I do. I've got a few, but my I think my my favorite business book is probably Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. That's the story of Nike and probably relevant to your audience and, and yourself potentially. It's a fantastic business book where it just goes through the the story of, um, of Phil Knight, who's the founder of Nike and kind of how he, he grew up from a literally selling running shoes from the back of his car to obviously now is a multi-billion dollar brand, global brand. Yeah, brilliant. Do you have a favorite podcast? 
Oh, favorite podcast. I do. And it's I've only come across it recently, probably in the last six months. It's called My First Million by Sam Parr and Sean Pavori, I think it is. Anyway, but um, it sounds gimmicky and it kind of is. I think it was a, it's intentionally clickbait podcast name, but it's a really great, basically these two guys just review on different business ideas and, and themes of entrepreneurship, tech, e-commerce, just things that are happening in the market. Um, really, really engaging. It's, it's quite funny as well. Yeah, but it's basically a couple of guys just shooting the shit on business and, and tech. So it's quite, quite interesting. I love that. And if people want to get in touch with you after this episode, what's the best way for them to do that? I don't really do much social media except LinkedIn. So I'm pretty prolific on LinkedIn. Uh, try to post uh, something every day with respect to yeah, to business, finance, accounting, uh, wealth creation, that sort of stuff. So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, just search Jason Andrew, or you can check out one of our websites for our accounting business, SBO Financial and we have a lot of blogs and case studies on there for people to check out relevant to e-commerce. Amazing. Well, thank you very much for joining us. That was absolutely incredible amount of information you've shared. So I'm really appreciating that. Thank you. You're very welcome. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the 18th episode of the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. Don't forget, we load all of the links and show notes onto our website. You can find everything at www.com brightredmarketing.com.au forward slash show notes forward slash episode 18. The link will also be in the episode description. Thanks so much for listening.